Hello and welcome to the Overland Journal podcast. I am your host, Scott Brady, and we have a special new edition of our podcast today. Matt, Scott, and I have been discussing the fact that there are so many travelers around the world and their stories need to be told. And it's very difficult to always get them into the studio or meet up with them at various events. So we had a conversation with Ashley Giordano, who is one of our senior editors. Uh, She is famous for her involvement with Dest to Glory and their adventure from Canada all the way down to Ushuaia. She's not only extremely accomplished as a journalist, she's also very accomplished as an overland traveler. So this is an opportunity for us to interview people that we may not encounter in our day-to-day work, but Ashley may encounter during her travels. You will be hearing her first interview, which is with Louisa Bell. So this is Graham Bell's wife from A2A Overland. They are also famous for their travels around the world uh, in their Defender 130 and now has a camper on it. But this is a great conversation between Louisa and Ashley. We're so excited to have her involved with the podcast team. If you would like to reach Ashley, you can find her on Instagram at Ash. And then, of course, you're always welcome to provide feedback to me at scott.a.brady, or you can find Matt on Instagram as Matt Explorer. So please enjoy the conversation between Ashley Giordano and Louisa Bell. Thanks to this week's sponsor, GCI Outdoor. Whether you're heading out for a weekend of adventure in the woods or to your backyard fire pit, GCI Outdoor gear is ready for whatever you have planned. GCI Outdoor has been around for 25 years, so they know what they're doing when it comes to the best in portable recreation gear. GCI has innovative products ranging from outdoor rockers to complete camp kitchens and everything in between. And with a limited lifetime warranty, you know they stand behind everything they make. GCI outdoor gear is comfortable, durable, and built for adventures, big and small. Try them out for yourself. Head over to their website at gcioutdoor.com and save 10% off your first purchase when you sign up for their email list. Thanks again, GCI. Hello and welcome to the Overland Journal podcast. I'm Ashley Giordano, a senior editor at Overland Journal, and I have a really special guest here today with me at the Overland International Headquarters. I'd like to welcome Louisa Bell here, and we're going to have a really good chat about life on the road. Hey, Louisa, how's it going? Hey, thank you so much for having me. This is awesome. I'm really enjoying it so far. <laughs> awesome. So for folks that don't know who Louisa Bell is, she and her family have been traveling all over the world in the Land Rover for many, many years. And And uh, if you want to just tell the listeners maybe a little bit more about your story and who you travel with and where you've been to. Okay. So I travel with my husband and two kids. My husband's Graham Bell. He's uh, written five books. I'm sure some people know him. And my two kids, my son is Keelan and he's 22 years of age now. And my daughter's now 17 and her name's Jessica. We've been to over 70 countries and five continents for the past 10 years. Amazing. (laughs) Yeah, I know it's, it's, I've been following you guys for quite some time and uh, this is the first time that we've met. So I was really excited at Overland (laughs) Expo West recently to meet you in person and and the rest of your family because we've been really inspired by your travels all over the world. Thank you. So you guys are in the U.S. now, and you did some traveling through Africa recently-ish, right? Yes. In 2019, we drove down the west coast of Africa to South Africa, and then kind of got stuck because of COVID. So we were in lockdown for a good eight months before the borders opened. Yeah, we did the loop around Southern Africa, and then we were like, 
where do we go next? Because Ethiopia had a civil war and we didn't know what to do next. So the U.S. was the next option. <laughs> nice. You're touring around the U.S. right now. And uh, what are you driving? So we're driving a 1994 long wheelbase a Range Rover Classic. So we call it the Roach. Uh, we've got a quick pitch rooftop tent and awning system, uh, which drops down with walls. And Graham and Keelan sleep on the camping cots downstairs. And we sleep upstairs in the loft. Um, and we just have a Snowmaster fridge with some crates and a wagon lithium battery. And that's our set up simple and straightforward and pretty easy so it works for us while in the u.s because you have availability to everything there's always a fuel station or grocer around the corner you don't need anything like we have at home tell me a little bit more about the vehicle that you have back home that you've traveled in okay so it's a 2004 land rover defender 130 so that's a longer wheelbase than your 90 or your 110 obviously and it makes perfect sense because we're a family of four and South Africans are a little larger than most. So we had a, a with a double cab with a canopy before with the door system and everything else. And then when we were in the States in Florida in 2015, 2016, we converted her into a camper. So now we can live out of side, live inside the vehicle, but while still enjoying being outside. Yeah. And accommodates four of us and is large enough. And yeah, she's handled perfectly since we've built the camper. So we were really chuffed about that. Yeah. Nice. Nice. And what, what experiences led to you to decide to create that indoor living space? Well, South America was easy to travel with a rooftop tent, I'm sure you know. It's like you've seen, it's, you guys did it with your vehicle, so it's easy to live on uh, with outside space, um, and so with the US as well, but we realized we were going to Europe and we couldn't do like stealth camping anymore because the rooftop tent is so obvious you're camping. So we're like, uh, if we're going to Europe and Asia as well, it's the same thing. You want to be more indoors or more uh, hidden from the fact that you're camping, so we could sleep in plazas and everywhere else and no one would be able to like ah you're actually physically camping and that's and also four years in a rooftop tent with two kids it became enough (laughs) that was hard work and our cooking system was we were cooking outside we were cooking inside and we were tired yeah, totally. so we wanted a little little bit of a luxury. So what's your setup like on the interior in terms of bed space? Because you pretty much have four adult-sized humans in there. So where does everybody <laughs> sleep? Well, our system is really great. We've got a lot of windows, so it makes it feel a lot more open than the space that it really looks. So from the outside, it looks tiny. And when you sit inside, you're like, oh, wow, this is huge. Um, so we've got a couch that we can sit on. And then um, there's the floor. The passageway is actually a bed. Okay, <laughs> yeah. nice. So nice. we just put the mattresses down from the, the couch onto the, the floor. And I used to sleep there, like, so under the kitchen sink. Um <laughs> But now Keelan's taken over sleeping on the floor because, you know, no mother should be sleeping on the floor <laughs> such way, as he says. And then the two, f- uh, so the double cab was cut and it was just now the two front seats. And then it's, you got the back seats, but with the seats are now facing towards each other, towards each other. So it's inwards, facing inwards. And that becomes a bed. And then there's a steel frame around on the, just after the cab and that is like a little like loft area and it's like a bunk bed thing. And then the mattress is up there. So when the rooftop pops up, which pops up to just over six foot, so Graham can stand in there fully. Jessica's bed is on the top there. So she gets a little, I call it a coffin area, but she <laughs> loves it. It's a little private little space. Um, So we sleep perfectly fine. It's fantastic. I love it. <laughs> nice. Nice. It sounds like you've utilized the space really well, which is so important for ve- those vehicle builds. Yes, we have. I nice. Think so. <laughs> That's yeah. great. So let's go back in time a little bit 
bit. You have all this experience overlanding all over the world now. At one point, you and Graham didn't live this lifestyle. You, <laughs> you're from South Africa, right? Correct. Correct. Take me back to when you lived in South Africa and you were living what you guys called the American dream in South Africa and what that looked like. We moved on to Cape Town and uh, I started an immigration business and it was pretty successful. And then Graham joined and a year and a half later. And, and it was, we had, we're living the American dream as we call it, because who doesn't want that, right? You want the big house and the fancy cars and the brand clothing. And, you know, you want the freedom to be able to travel when you want. And we had all of that. And um, my dad, uh, he worked all his life. And uh, when he got to the retirement age, he was just starting to go, okay, now I'm going to travel. We were planning a whole travel, the overland travel thing. And we were like, this is happening. And then unfortunately he passed away suddenly, he had a heart attack and that was it. Mm. And we were like, you know, all those years of hard work and dedication to do something with your life. And then you're like looking at the end goal. You don't get there. Um, to us, it was just a kind of was a waste. And that was a motivation. It was like, let's go travel. So we did a six month trip up to Kilimanjaro. It was great. We loved it. We had to return because I was still running the business at the time and I had staff, but they needed me around. So went back to South Africa and we were living in a small seaside town. Literally the ocean was across the house from us. We were really having a great time. And then we're like, something was missing. So we're like, okay, let's go and move to Plettenberg Bay, which is on the garden route. Gorgeous. Let's go move there. Got a big house, got more clothes, got filled the house with things. And we were like, ah. Oh, Something's still missing. We were working hard. And then we went up for three months up to Malawi. We could obviously, we took the kids out of school and because we were self-employed, we could do that. And we drove up to Malawi. It was three, four months. And then we were like, this is what's missing. We were singing Baba Moran, you know, by the Beatles. And we were like, we're having such a great time. And we realized that's the void that's missing is this, is travel. So we returned home and then that was it. The deal was sealed and we, you know, sold up everything. And and uh, there's a story as we knew we could do it without even realizing we were able to do long-term travel when Graham we drove when we drove up to Mozambique and Graham got exceptionally like he got really sick he lost like 15 kgs in 10 days which is what 20 odd 30 pounds oh, in 10 wow. days he was very sick I would throw the tablets at him like come on man get better and you know I'm 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 like the motherly type but you know when men get sick <laughs> <laughs> so you assume he wasn't that sick but he was pretty bad and he was you know semi-conscious or he could control himself <laughs> I threw him in the car and we drove up to Dar es Salaam and that was it and we didn't even think of like a lot of people would probably say, I can Let's go back home. It's time to return home. We can't do this. It's too difficult. And we just soldiered on. So I think that was like a point for us where we realized without realizing huh, we can do this. And the trip was only supposed to be a year and a half. And that's why A to A expedition, Argentina to Alaska. Oh. And then obviously it didn't turn out that way. Right. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. 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 So did you have any travel experience prior to that? Yes. So Graham and I both traveled. Well, when I was younger, I went to 13 schools. So we were kind of like, uh, I lived in a caravan with my parents. My dad was a traveling salesman at one point. So we traveled a lot. And then when I was younger, I um, was in school and I said, well, this is nonsense. Uh, I'm not doing pretty good. This is like not for me. And I went to technical college and did business and then left school pretty early and um, put a backpack on and went to travel to Israel, went to Kibbutz and Mashav, and then went to Egypt and traveled there and then went to the UK and France and Cyprus. So I did a bit of backpacking before I met Graham. Graham also did a bit of travel. So when we met each other, we, we kind of just like, it was, we knew that we were going to do this. 
It was just at what point. Right. So, yeah. Do you remember how you decided to go to those places at that time to backpack? When I was that age? Yeah. No. Well, I think Israel was easiest because South Africans didn't need visas back then for Israel. Okay. And it was a very thin thing to do. The kibbutz was an easy way for a person to be able to travel without putting themselves out there too quickly. So it was like you had a base and you could earn money while doing it. Very. It was just a stipend. But, you know, you could do something, meet new travelers and that kind of thing. Egypt was right by Israel and Egypt's always been like an amazing just in terms of the touristic attractions it was always great and then the UK when you're in the area you might as well fly to the UK <laughs> so it wasn't yes. it wasn't like I decided that that's where I should go it was just like on a bit of a whim and I suppose that's what our travels are now as well we just decide on the whim where we should go so that travel you did before you met Graham yeah how did you guys meet and when did that happen we had mutual friends all right. And uh, we went to his friend's farewell party and we kind of met. And Graham always says, I met him, hit him over the head with my, you know, my battle axe and then dragged him off to a cage. Because <laughs> <laughs> once we met, that was it. And we haven't really been apart since then. So, yeah, it was. What in those initial conversations drew you together? Do you remember at all? He said it was my laugh. Because um, <laughs> I have a distinct cackle when I laugh <laughs> so he said uh, that was the, the the laugh would attracted him and then when we started speaking and then I had traveled and he had just come back from Israel and we just had a had a something in common and in South Africa at that time people were traveling but not as often as like Americans or Europeans would travel you know it wasn't a thing so it was that, I think that was exactly what just brought us closer together because we were attracted to each other obviously and then that was just an added bonus <laughs> nice yeah. that's so awesome So when you guys decided to leave, how old were your kids? Jessica was just... Uh, just turned eight and Keelan was 12. They were still young enough to be able to do it. We had always camped, you know, we had always traveled. So that was great. They had already, this, they were comfortable with camping or traveling. So it wasn't difficult for them. And like I always say, kids adapt so easily. We are the ones that are the ones that, oh, we shouldn't do it because of this. You know, kids are like, take me out of school and go traveling. What are you talking about? This is exactly what I want to do. And Keelan was, shame, he was a bit of a little chubby kid and was bullied at school. So he was like, I'm right there. Let's do this. Jessica was still young. She didn't, obviously, <laughs> she had a few friends at school. She loved school. You know, she was eight years old. So she had a bit of an, uh, a say in whether we could go, but it wasn't that much, obviously. But so yeah, they were young and to travel with, I think. And that's why I say when people say, oh, my kids are too young. And I'm like, that's the best time to take them. Right. Yeah. I think a lot difficult. of people are intimidated or afraid to bring kids with them on their travels, which I mean, in some ways I can totally, totally understand yeah. their hesitations. But yeah, you guys took the leap uh, with your kids and what have you seen in them that's changed over the years since you left? Oh, Keelan, you know, this weekend at the expo, we were selling books and he could, he's, he's fantastic. He can see, he can talk to anyone and he will stand there and chat to them for like a half an hour. And the person will be just like, what the heck? He's 22 years old. Most 22 year olds wouldn't, you know, they don't want to talk to anybody or they got some issues or they're shy. He is fantastic. He has completely transformed into this amazing man who's highly intelligent. who's so friendly. He's a big giant. He's just, he just wants to hug everybody. That kind of, I love him to bits, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> and then Jessica, she has got this personality on her and this, Humor, oh man, she, yeah, she gets me every time. She is so, she's so quick. Um, and she is, she's smart, you know? And I think the thing is like a lot of people are so worried about their kids not getting the education, sitting in the classroom, they'll be fine. They actually turn out better than I think they ever would have been if we had still stayed at home. I think they are, yeah, wow. 10 times people they would have been. 
Yeah. Did you do homeschooling on the road? Yes. Yeah, we did. Um, so in the beginning, we were like, let's make this, you know, do it properly. You know, the education, the kids got to get an education. So we did I, school books this high, a pile of school books that high. And I was just like, oh, every time we stopped somewhere, we'd have to dedicate that time to do the schooling. We'd be on the beach in Brazil and the kids would have to do schooling. And eventually I realized it was like two years in and I realized this isn't working and we're unhappy. The kids are unhappy. You know, this that was such a strain on our travel. And there was so much already going on that the last thing you want to do is add more difficulties to your to that stress already because it is stressful to travel you know it's a vacation but it's not that kind of vacation and uh, I said turf it let's just do English and maths and that was it because that's a foundation for anything and everything right so language and and maths and everything else they learned then you know they they're not stupid kids you know they know what they're talking about they learn culture and society like okay science and biology is a different story I mean that's a bit difficult to learn on the road but everything else that they need to be kids growing up in this world they've got it done so yeah English and maths and then Keelan did his American GEDs in South Africa when we returned home and Jessica's about to do hers in the next two three months so and then they'll be educated in terms of a what we call a matric uh, certification and Keelan will go over to the UK and then do IT based studies and Jessica will do a vet's assistant course with Australian University Online. So, Oh, yeah. great. That's yeah. so exciting. Yeah. What drew them to those areas to study? You know? Keelan's a nerd. So it was a <laughs> progressively that or you can either be a salesman because he sells, he can sell ice to an Eskimo. Can um, confirm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yes. We had a great chat around the campfire the other night and yeah, yeah he could, he's a salesman. It's, yeah. it's pretty wonderful to watch. Yeah. It's, yeah. I was so surprised because I mean, he's always been very talkative, but the, the fact that he can be so, I don't know, he's, he's just great. So he's a nerd and he loves computers. So he wanted to do something in terms of that. Um, but he's also really good uh, mechanically. So he's got, so he's like, is to do the IT thing and then maybe do a plumber's course, an electrician's course. So he has multiple trades behind his back. So when he does travel, which he wants to do in the next five years, build his own rig and then go, he's, he can work anywhere because he's got that behind his back. Jessica, she's awesome with animals. She can find an animal, that dog or that cat or whatever will just roll over backwards and sort it. She's, she's fantastic with animals. So it, it was progressed, like it made sense for her to do that. Whether she chooses that path, it's entirely up to her, but I wanted to actually have something behind her back before she goes and leaves us, which will probably be in the next two years, which is fine. She'll join Keelan and they'll, you know, they'll do it together. So you're spending a lot of time together as a family. Are there any instances where you guys have to go your like separate ways and have some quiet time or? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) If not, it would be weird. (laughs) No. Yeah, we do. Uh, So when it gets to that point, we book an Airbnb or a, a hostel or something where we can have our own separate rooms and then that's it. We just branch off from each other. Jessica locks herself in the room and that that's it. We don't see her for days. You know, Keelan will still want to talk to it, to you the whole time. And I'm like, dude, just give me that bit of space. And he's like, no, he's there. He's got to talk about an idea or something. Um, but yeah, we do have those moments, but we actually pretty well knitted together. And it's and it's really weird because when we're not together, it there's always like it feels like there's a limb missing. Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't feel complete. And I know when Keelan leaves us in the in the new year, I I'm going to be sobbing like crazy. I'm going to be like phoning him every day of every hour just to make sure he's fine. And 
uh, it's it's going to be so hard because we've lived together for so many years in a, such a small space that we're like the same person and but with so many different personalities, like you know, multiple personality disorder <laughs> in one individual because we're so such a good family unit. We really gel well, obviously. Otherwise, we still wouldn't be doing this. Yeah. When you think about overland travel, you're thinking about the places you're going to or epic camp spots with nobody else around and um, experiencing different cultures. But there is the day-to-day function of the family unit and the relationships between all of you and then your marriage as well. Yeah. And so (laughs) how do you spend that much time together and make it work? But also how has the relationship changed between you and Graham over time? When I started the business, uh, I was in 2015. No, I'm lying because it's 2021 now. <laughs> Possible, right? <laughs> what is time, Louisa? Yeah, exactly. What sorry, is time? What, what year are we in? Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. It's fair. Yeah, 2005. Sorry, was when we started the business. And well, I started the business in 2006. So Graham joined me. And since that time, we've been together 24 hours a day. So I think it was good for us to transition from being together with a business into that kind of life because it was easier. I know a lot of people that have traveled and then returned home and they got divorced or they separated and then needed some time apart because it's, it's, it's a very strenuous thing on a relationship If because you, you get to know people so well those little things those little tidbits that you like oh when you live with someone now it's compounded because you're constantly with them and you can't get away from them yes. <laughs> it's like oh my god this is actually annoying and you're annoying but you know you work through that I think everyone has a job and everyone does a chore and you need to do that uh, so we can all gel together so Jessica does dishes and br- breakfast and lunch dishes and Keelan does dinner dishes uh, I do the planning navigating and everything else and Graham does the job and he keeps like his peacemaker kind of thing. So he makes everyone just do what he does. Well, Jessica's a peacemaker. Graham's like the, the captain. El Capitan. But yeah, that's exactly it. We live in such a small space. No one can have an attitude. No one can be obnoxious, pretentious. And that is exactly what it is. And I think that's why it does work for us. So we have arguments. We do fights. Uh, we don't fight. Fight is a terrible word. I don't like that. We disagree. The older Keelan gets... Uh, the more it becomes like Graham. So then I've got two Grahams that I have to deal with, which is uh, difficult. So Keelan and I bash, bash heads, but we love each other intensely. I think Graham and Jessica are great together and Keelan and I are great together. So, you know, the mother mother and son and daughter and father kind of relationship that no- normal families have. But we also, you know, we get along with each other perfectly fine. And um, there's like a, I'll quick tell you a quick story. There was, we were uh, at a campsite in Colombia and, oh, it was dry and dusty and waiting for tires to be delivered. And it was just this saga that was just never ending. And Keelan turned to me and he said, he says, he said, you're like the devil. I say, he said, you are the devil. Because I was just, it was hot. And I was like, just do this schooling, get this done, do this. And then just let's move on with our lives, you know? And he was like, he said that I just turned around and I looked at him and he ran, but he ran, he ran, <laughs> he ran but he fell over a log and he did a somersault and he ran to the wall and he was just sitting there bleeding. And I was like, and since then I didn't need to say it. Like everyone knows how to, you know, just be better. You know, I think that's just be better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think too, being on the road and being around each other all the time is another aspect of adapting. Yes. Yeah. And we've talked about that before, how <laughs> adapting is probably one of the most important either skill sets or abilities that you can have on the road. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think this is it. I mean, because things change, your travel plans change. I mean, if you look and you go, oh, well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this country. I'm going to do that. And you run out of money like we did. We were, we were broke five times, you know, and like where we had literally no money. You can't foresee what's going to happen. So... I say take it easy and just relax and things will work out eventually, you know. Either road karma or it's the road gods. Whichever one you want to lean towards, it'll sort itself out, yeah. yeah. So what did you guys do in those situations where you needed to adapt? <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. One time was in Ecuador and uh, the tax man had sent my mother a letter. It was in terms of a business that I, would, I still had. And it was it was silly. But anyway, the tax man said, you have so many days to fix a problem. She never told me and the tax man took all my money. So emptied our bank account. And they mm. were like, oh, this is awesome. Well, obviously, I didn't react like that. I bit of, had a bit of a fit. And um, we then borrowed money. And obviously, that was paid back a year later by the tax man. But uh, we had to borrow some money. What Graham did then, and exactly, I think this is what that moment was the moment for us to travel further or the stepping stone. He decided, well, I'm going to write a book. Because mm-hmm. he's always been very, and he was always poetic and he always loved to write poems and stuff. And that's where the book writing started. He was like, don't worry, Louise, I'm going to sort this out. I'm going to write a book which he did. And I believe it's pretty f- successful. I think people love it. So so that was that instance. And then another instance was when we were in Alaska and we were, it was just, the US was crazy expensive. And, you know, we had this deal with uh, a mobile network that was supposed to go through and never did. But there was like, the one guy said, oh, I'll meet you. You have some books. We had some books in stock and he bought three books and he didn't, he, I don't know if he still knows to this day, those three books got us enough fuel money to get to Canada, to get money that was from book sales that his mother had sent to Canada instead of Alaska. I'm not too sure. Anyway, that guy saved us, you know, from sitting stranded in the middle of Homer, Alaska. So it's little things just happen and it's the hospitality of people without them realizing you're really helping me out right now. That's how it happens. So yeah, the other instances, yeah, same thing. People just helping out has been fantastic. Yeah, too, I think it requires a little bit bit of bravery sometimes too. A little bravery bit of bravery. stupidity, one of the two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally, totally. So with all the travels that you've done, how have they changed you? I think, okay, so I was uh, very stressed and very anxious when we were in South Africa. I had a, a serious motor vehicle accident when I was younger, so I had a lot of uh, panic attacks. Now I don't get panic attacks anymore. I'm still stressed as one is, you know, being on the road, it is stressful, um, but it's a different kind of stress. I, I think it's made me more badass, you know. I'm open to change, you know. I'm not like militant, so it's got to be this way. I'm more supportive, probably more kind, more understanding. So you said it's made you more badass. How How so? I think I'm not afraid as much as what I used to be, you know. I still have like my biggest phobia, and it's not even a fear, it's a phobia of heights. But I'll be a little bit more challenged to do something that that phobia I'm like really terrified of. I think that as a parent, you always put yourself in such a situation where you're like, well, I can't do this because, you know, it's not right. Or it's like people, because society dictates how you should act as a woman and as a mother. And those, if you don't fall into those two brackets, oh, you know, that's wrong. Like someone will listen and go, oh, you were broke five times with kids. How irresponsible of you. And you're like, well, no, because it worked out, right? If it didn't work out, we always there's always something that helps you out. So for me, it was the, the fact that I'm, I can do things without thinking about it too much. Like, just do it, you know. Have a bottle of wine and go, oh, well, I'm going to French Guiana and Suriname and British Guiana and cross the Amazon without thinking about it. It's just like, yeah, I'm going to do that. Yeah, I think that's that's the difference between yeah. me and the real, that Louisa back those years. Well, I wouldn't have done it that way. I would have been like, okay, let's plan it. 
<laughs> yeah, there's an interesting balance. I think when you're on the road of it gives you an increased sense of confidence. But at the same time, you're more worried about simple things mm. like where am I going to find food? Where am yeah. I going to camp? Where are we going to find water? Where are we going next? Yeah. And those are very basic survival exactly. skills, I guess. Yeah. Whereas at home, you're worried more about all of these other things. And so you yeah. have the confidence to move forward, but also different stressors, I guess. Yes, exactly that. Yeah. It's like go, when we came back to South Africa and visited friends and they're like, they want to know your story, but they don't want to know your story because you know what it's like, you know. And uh, then you're like, the moan about things that really shouldn't be important, but really are. And you kind of go, damn, yeah, you know, dropping my kids off at school, a queue of people, the mothers and stuff like that. And you kind of go, that was me. Damn, yeah, and I'm out of it. <laughs> yes. I remember Richard, uh, my husband, was when we went home, he was working for a heating, a geothermal heating company. Mm-hmm. He had a call from a client and they were like upset that their towel warmer wasn't <laughs> heating up quickly <laughs> enough. And this was after we came home and we were coming home really, really hard. Yeah. Uh, it's like reverse <laughs> culture shock and you've seen so much, right? And he was just like, I can't do this job anymore. And I, I you know, I don't want to criticize somebody about a towel warmer, you know what I mean? But I think it's just having that perspective of yeah, yeah. what do you really want? Exactly. I Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But it's for different folks. You know, some exactly. people will do like two, three months trips. As to me, as long, as long as you're traveling and experiencing different cultures and putting yourself out there, that's enough. Yeah. You know? If um, that's I'm what sure. you want to do. Exactly. Or exactly. if you want to ride horses, do that. Or if yeah. you want to go hiking, do that. Exactly. You know, yeah, this is exactly. just one facet of living your dream, so to speak. Exactly. Yeah. Being out there. That's the most important thing, actually, being out there appreciating nature and life. So you were talking about uh, society's prescribed roles for women. What do you think the benefits are of being a woman on the road? I think it's jack of all trades. I mean, I I was always that way. I was business orientated, make the money because, you know, I grew up relatively poor, can I say, um, in American standards anyway. So for me, it was all about making the money, the American dream. And now it's like I do the electrics on the, ho- the vehicle and, you know, I do all of that. I am the mechanics assistant. I I, um, I do navigating, I do editing of the books, I do graphic design of the books. I'm like, and all the things that don't make me money, obviously, but, <laughs> but it's just become different. You change in that sense that you, you're willing to explore different avenues that I would never have done before. I, I would never have seen myself in this role where I can do so much more than I was before I left, you know? So yeah, I, I can change wheel bearings or I can, you know, change the CPS on my vehicle. You know, I'll tell you a quick story. There was like, we were in the Congo and we had issues with a vehicle. It was stuttering and it was late on a Sunday night and the guys were all drinking palm wine, the locals, and smacking the vehicle and blocking the road. So we were like, oh my gosh, this is like the worst place to get stuck. And night was, night was coming, found this little place where we could park and, uh, you know, got in there and soldered the, the CPS together and fixed that. And obviously Graham assisted and then Keelan was making a fire with a piece of fillet that we had kept from Cameroon and all of that you know like the change and what you can do don't realize how badass you are until you actually get into the situation and go well I did that kudos to me kind of thing you know so yes women that whole situation where you you have to be the cook or you have to be this it changes completely when you're on the road I love it
Do you, were there certain circumstances where you and Jessica got an insight into, I don't know, the insider look at another world because you're women? Like, were you invited anywhere? To- yeah, I, you know, I think traditionally women are the, the cooks and the cleaners and that kind of thing. In Africa, it's a bit different because the women also work the fields. But we were in, uh, we were in Turkey. I love Turkey. You guys been to Turkey? We went backpacking there, but oh. we haven't been there by vehicle yet, but I hope. Yeah, it's soon. awesome. You know, it's, yeah. it's just people are hospitable. And, you know, because culture, you look at the cultural or religion or whatever, and you already have that preconceived idea of how women are treated within the culture. And we, we, we were parked one of the times that we were broke again was we were parked alongside the Hilton in this very small seaside town in Turkey. We were waiting uh, for one of our articles to be paid <laughs> and it was holidays. So we were like stuck. We were like stuck. Okay, what are we going to do? We can't go anywhere. All right. So let's stay uh, alongside the Hilton. Graham was washing dishes and this old lady came out, you know, with a head garb and everything. And um, she brought this cake and a cold, steaming hot cake and a two liter bottle of Coke. And she was like, yeah, you go, you know? Wow. And it was just amazing the way that she just came out because, you know, women aren't um – and we went there. Jessica and I went there. She just brought it out to Graham and Keelan. And, you know, that culture, she shouldn't be talking to just random guys on the street kind of thing. And then we went into her house and sat and chatted for three hours via Google Translate because she wouldn't speak a word of English and I didn't speak a word of Turkish. Women are women are strong individuals and, um, and across the world. And we've got a saying, like, as strong as a Bolivian woman because, wow, mm. you know those Bolivian women? Yeah. They're, they're probably 60 years old, but they look like they're 100 because they're dragging their people pieces of wood or the rocks or whatever the, on their backs there's there's no woman that's not got empowered in some way without you know you need to like look deep inside i think uh within different cultures women are respected more than a lot of people realize for sure yeah what was the conversation on google translate like it was it was just weird. We spoke about so many things, like why do we travel, what we travel, and then we spoke about her family. And her daughter was actually a TV dietitian, so she was okay. on, yeah, so she was on TV talking about diets and stuff. And I phoned, she phoned her, and she was like, "Hey, I got these people here." And she was like, "Hey, if you're there for the next weekend, I'll, I'll fly in, I'll show you around." And we're like, "Oh shit, no, we don't have money to be entertained." Firstly, and once we get our cash, we're out of here. You know, it wasn't like yeah, so it was random stuff, and she just wanted to give us stuff the whole time. So she made more food while we were sitting there waiting and the guys and grandma's like what the heck is going on and I'm like well we're just chatting and like you say what do you chat about for three hours but you'll be surprised it was just an insight into how she lives and and before we left you opened the kitchen cupboards and wanted to give me pot scours and spaghetti and I'm like what the hell <laughs> so random <laughs> but it was awesome I love it those experiences yeah they're why we do what we do yeah exactly so it's it great just, yeah <laughs> Uh, which countries would you go back to if you could? Definitely Turkey, Morocco, Argentina, Brazil. We're we'll back in the US, so that's that. Yeah, I think those those countries. Europe's great, so I think the whole of Europe. But yeah, those those Morocco, Turkey, definitely Argentina, Brazil. Brazil was amazing because of it's so diverse between the north and the south, and it's gorgeous. Easy to travel in. Argentina, you know Argentina. It's just, it's Argentina. Great meat, great wine. We're South African side. That's the first thing we go for. (laughs) And Turkey, the people are fantastic. It is so easy to travel in. And Morocco is just gorgeous. Yeah, there's no no beating those four countries for me personally. And obviously the US because it's the ease of travel. And you guys have got such amazing parks and trails. And it's just 
It's fantastic. Yeah, people should travel more in their back garden a little bit more because it's definitely worth the while. A lot of people ask about security and the feeling of safety. Did you ever have an experience or experiences where you felt like you were unsafe? Yes, unfortunately. Um, two occasions. Well, not two, two countries, different countries. Uh, the first one was um, Nigeria. And, you know, you're not because most people, yes, Nigeria. It was a beautiful country. Um, and the people in the beginning, I think perhaps that's the thing. It's different regions of uh, Nigeria that we experienced different um, hospitality or feelings. Uh, the first part of Nigeria was amazing. And we were like, everyone was like, oh, you're welcome. You know, it was that kind of just amazing hospitality. And, and then we hit to a certain region. And I think that's where it just went to hell. You know, uh, we saw a dead body lying on the side of the road. On the, and then there was a shooting outside a compound. A woman was shot outside the compound where we were parked at and then the guy that we had convoyed with he caused some issues and had a chap pull a AK cock the AK-47 at him and so that I think just made it worse but then you got into the highlands and it was gorgeous and it was four-wheel drive for four days and then it was just like Scottish highlands it was amazing it was gorgeous so every like Nigeria was felt unsafe but I think it was also the circumstances we're putting ourselves in like so if we didn't convoy over that chap we probably would have felt a lot safer so it's like how you how you travel and we don't usually convoy because we don't like being at the hands you know, at the mercy of someone else and then South Africa is obviously a little bit more difficult we were robbed three times mm-hmm. and uh, that made us feel unsafe I mean the what we were in a municipal campground and the guy was got a sand uh, a ladder and was standing staring at me with a window opening like, while we were sleeping in the camp at like three in the morning so it was just random stuff like that I, I, I would suggest just travel to South Africa I'm saying it's not, not that it's dangerous so maybe just choose your spots it was a silly thing for us to have camped there that night so yeah do travel to South Africa because it is gorgeous I think that's the thing is that you can experience you can have experiences like those anywhere in the world exactly. you yeah. know like Vancouver in Canada things can happen <laughs> happen like that there too exactly yeah it's just about taking listening to your intuition that's not the majority of the time traveling Mm. our experiences like those I guess yeah that's what I'm trying to say I don't yeah yeah no I agree with you it's like we like I say if we didn't convoy with them we probably wouldn't have felt that unsafe and the the shooting outside the hotel would have been not okay at no point was it okay but we would have felt safer because we were also convoying convoying with the same guy and he was standing there talking loudly and and we were like the locals start running and and hushing up, uh, that's what you should be doing. So I think it's just being more aware of your surroundings and then you won't have that situation. It's important to realize both sides of it. I think be prepared, but also mm. have an open mind. Are there instances where you feel afraid when you're on the road or does that not happen very often? Uh, I think maybe like when you stay at a place, like we'll rent an Airbnb or something for a week or so. And then it, you always have a little bit of a nervousness when you to get back on the road. I don't yeah. know why. It's just like, oh, damn. You know, you want to get back, but you're like, what's going to be around the corner? Because you had that like little piece of heaven where everything was fine and it wasn't your place you needed to worry about. You didn't need to go to work, but you were working, but you didn't have to physically go and, you know, put yourself there into the community kind of thing. And then you're like, oh, I'm leaving. I've got to go back on the road. What's around the corner? But that's about the only, yeah, besides that, uh, there's nothing really else to fear and fear itself. That's <laughs> true. That's good <laughs> yeah. advice. Yeah. Sometimes I think going through border crossings can be like that. It's not fear necessarily a, as anticipation because you understood how that the previous country works to a certain extent and you know what to anticipate or expect and then you get to the border and you're like excited but you're also like oh my gosh everything might be about to 
change and how are we going to adapt and fit in? I do all the border crossings and Graham does it on purpose because I'm kind of like a, eh, how can I say, I'm quite a grr, not aggressive, but I'm like, get out of my, I know what I'm doing, just like move out of the way. I'm like, I'm going to get this done and then I'm finished, you know. So, you know, you'll be at Mauritania border crossing and like uh, they don't allow women to be in the same queue as men and I'll be standing there and I'm like, well, James, I'm going to stand. <laughs> you know, he's got to look after the vehicle. I actually enjoy it. I don't mind it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so you probably have had to put quite a bit of time into researching for carnets and yeah. visas and all that stuff. Do you have any tips or tricks? Uh, find out if your if the country really needs a carne because it's an expense. So we got a carne back and before we left, and you have to put a security deposit down. So it can be a lot or it could be a little. So if it's a lot, then find out if the country really needs the carne because otherwise you're going to be stuck like we've been at 10 years and that money's been lying there. So, you know, that kind of thing. Forums, WhatsApp yeah. groups. You know, chat to people that are coming from the other direction or going the same direction. Do it together. Sometimes it's easier. Don't be arrogant. Yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. That kind of that kind of thing. I I hate to do it, but they love it. They love the power and the, the fact that they have the power to deny you entry. Well, you just got to put up with it, you know. And paperwork. Keep all that paperwork. It's somewhat. Oh, we were crossing to Peru, and you know, you do the crossing: Argentina, Chile, Alaska, Alaska. <laughs> oh my God. Wrong continent. Um, <laughs> Chile and Argentina, back and forth. And we got to Peru and they were like, oh, yeah, you'd been here before. And they were like, that was like a few years ago. And they were like, well, we want to see the exit stamp on that passport that you have. And by then oh. we had already been through like three passports. And like, so we had to drag out those passports. I was livid. But I'd kept those passports. I hadn't sent it home and I didn't chuck them, you know. So keep that paperwork because somewhere down the line they're going to nab you on it. And then, you know, there's going to be a fine of some kind because it's just another way to try and bribe you right yeah, yeah yeah were there any circumstances where you couldn't get through a border or they had to they turned you around for some reason no because no, i'm quite persistent <laughs> sometimes you have to be <laughs> yeah exactly i'm not turning around there was one instance recently actually during the COVID times and i we were oh we were traveling from uh, mozambique up the tate corridor we had been back and forth and the roads were terrible up there for, for now for some reason it was rainy season but anyway they we were supposed to get a letter of uh, permission to cross into, yeah, it was Zambia, from the Minister of Health for to confirm that our COVID tests were all right. And I'm like, dude, no one says this. This doesn't even show this on your thing. Yeah, and he was carrying on. He was like, now you've got to go back. And our visas for Mozambique actually had expired, so we had to pay a fine to leave Mozambique. So we knew we couldn't get a new one going in. Anyway, long rigmarole. I was so livid. And when I get cross, when I get really angry, I start tearing up and I just, because I get so frustrated, oh. I want to just do something physical. So my reaction is just cry. <laughs> like, just cry because that's the best way. I just go and like, ah. Oh. And the guy was like, he thought this was hysterical. He made me cry. And Graham was like, oh, now I'm going to kick your ass. <laughs> so eventually we, we got through it. And that was the only time that the guy wanted to turn me back because I was refusing to pay the bribe. Eventually we paid the bribe. We got in. But that's the point is that you shouldn't pay a bribe to get into a country that you're legally permitted to be in. So yeah, sometimes the rules, you just throw them out the window and sometimes you need to adhere. Yeah, it seems exactly. Like, you know, yeah. So. There was a guy we crossed into the Peruvian border eventually and then cops pulled us over. I don't know why we had so much trouble in Peru. They wanted to find us for everything. Oh, multa, multa, you know. I think a bribe, bribe the whole time, yeah. And he pulls us over and our windows were tinted and he was like, multa. I'm like, for what? And he's like, your windows are tinted. And I'm like, 
Yeah, okay. And we carried on back and forth as bantering. And eventually I went to his got out and he said, come, come, I'll show you the book where it shows you have to pay this amount of money. And it was ludicrous. Shows me in the book. And I'm like, okay. And then his car windows were tinted. So I'm like, Walter. And I was like, okay, you got a point. All right, go. <laughs> so if it works for me, you should be getting fine as well, you know? You can't yeah. have the So yeah. Yes. Humor <laughs> is good. Yeah, too. exactly. Yeah. Do you guys travel with music? We do also travel with TV shows. Oh. So, so like you've got kids, they want to watch a bit of TV kind of thing. So great story. We've got this one video on saw the YouTube channel, I think, still, of us driving through the Amazon. The vehicle's filth. You can't even see through the windows on the sides because it's just mud everywhere. And there's us listening to either Cheers or Seinfeld because it's the easiest one. You recognize all the characters. They're not leaving the space that they're in. So they're not exploring or doing anything. It's always the pub. Which is, and is always the apartment for Seinfeld, you know, all the characters. So you can drive and you can listen to it, you know, on the laptop. So yeah, we listen to music, but Seinfeld and cheers. And then we listen to like NPR's uh, car talk, you know, nice. car talk. Oh, yeah. Man, I love those guys. It's a tradition. Every time I make flapjacks on a Sunday, we try and do the tradition that we listen to NPR car talk or wait, wait, don't tell me. So we'll be anywhere in the world listening to car talk. I wait, love wait, it. don't tell me. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Do you guys have like an album on repeat right now at all, music wise? No. Jessica's okay. the DJ. Uh, she's got all the poppy stuff. And then when Keelan gets in the front, then it's like, oh, the pixies. And it's all like the, the heavy stuff, which she can do for a bit. And then I guess like a little, you know, too much. So Jessica's like the music DJ. Yeah, she loves it. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah, music is awesome on the road. Yeah. We love it. <laughs> if you can hear it. Right. Oh my gosh. Yes. You guys have that thing too where it's so loud. Just well, I am assuming the yeah, Land Rover is loud. So loud. Yeah. You're like you shout at each other like, hey. It's like, yeah, no, we have the same problem. And this Range Rover is great, but it's got this purr. The purr means nothing because it goes so damn slow. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you can't hear the music most of the time. So yeah, yeah. Truth. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I ask every podcast guest that I interview, if you could travel to a country right now, mm. what would it be and why? You can list more than one. Okay. Yeah, awesome. of course. Um, so I'd like to travel to any country in Scandinavia right now. Okay. If I had the money, I'd love to do that because, wow, you know, different cultures, society, the scenery is just insane. Yeah. Any country in Scandinavia would be amazing. And we've got so many friends up there. Maybe one day. Yes, one day it will happen actually, not maybe. Besides that, I think, yeah, that's that's the top of my list right now. And then obviously Russia, which we'll get to once the borders open again. Yeah. What drives you to Russia? Um, well, you got to do it, right? We've done that <laughs> and that and that, so we got to do that. <laughs> so, yes. and it's, yeah, Vladivostok, you know, so, you know, we've done a lot already, so we've got all the little badges, but Vladivostok's like the, the final frontier kind of thing. You know? Yes. Final trip, and once we've done that, then we'll have to figure out what, then we'll go Scandinavia, and then there's so many other lands, uh, countries, or lands unexplored, I suppose. Absolutely. Yeah. New Zealand. Woo. Actually, there, I wouldn't mind going to New Zealand now. So there's one question that Scabri asks in every single podcast episode, and I'm going to piggyback on to it because I love books and reading as well. But what's your favorite book? So uh, when I have time to read, (laughs) 
which is not often. But the one book that really stood out to me and resonates throughout the whole, uh, what we do is The Tribe by Sebastian Younger. And he's, uh, it, it explains exactly, it's a short book, it's not very big, but it carries the message of what we do. It's about the tribe overlanding or a tribe of people that share the same common goal or knowledge or aspire to do the same thing. So yeah, read it. It's really good. And he's nice. got a few more that's come out, but yeah, The Tribe was his, his best one. Were there some specific things in there that resonated with you well no just the just everything yeah just everything it was you read and you go oh that's me it's fantastic that's a great recommendation (laughs) yeah (laughs) thank you so where can people find you online if they want to learn more about you and the bell family well we have got a website which is a2aexpedition.com and it's a and then number two a expedition.com quick story we went through south america and we're like trying to tell everyone like argentina to alaska but you try and tell a spanish person i they're like, what the hell is Adosa? So yes, it works on in English, um, unfortunately, but A2AExpedition.com. And then we've got a Patreon account, a YouTube account, a Facebook account, and they're all basically A2AExpedition.com. Graham runs all the social media. So the Instagram is in his name. It's Graham, which is G-R-A-E-M-E, not H, uh, dot R dot Bell. And that's, and you can find our books there. And how many books? Promotion. <laughs> yeah. How many books are there and what are the titles? Okay. So we have five. Uh, the first one was We Will Be Free, which is the most popular because it's us extracting ourselves out of normal life and living and heading South America for the two and a half, well, three years. And then there's La Lucha, which is the fight, you know, doing, getting up and having the money to tour North America and then rebuilding the vehicle from the double cab into the camper. Mm-hmm. And there's Europe overland, which is then traveling Europe from the UK to Turkey and across down to Portugal. And then there's uh, Mud Maleri Guns and Miracles, which is the West Coast trip down the West Coast of Africa, down to South Africa. And then the second book was actually Travel the Planet Overland, which is a how-to guide to do what we do. So it tells you how to choose an overland rig, how to motivate your significant other, uh, how to educate your kids, online resources, recipes, how to tow mechanical, you know, experiment like uh, work. And then we're actually rebooting that one or rewriting it into a bigger version because that was after what, three and a half, four years of experience. Now it's 10 years of experience. So it's going to be a massive hardcover color book. And that is going on to Kickstarter in the next week or so. Awesome. Awesome. That's such a wealth of knowledge. Yes. And where can people find those books also on uh, a2aexpedition.com it's better to buy from us than to buy from amazon because we get the cash perfect (laughs) jeff doesn't get it (laughs) (laughs) well i want to say thank you so so much louisa for coming on the podcast it's been an absolute pleasure to interview you and it's wonderful to hear your side of the story too thank you very much for having me i really enjoyed it